We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel chapter number 18. Ezekiel chapter number 18. We're going to read verses 19 through 25, and we're going to pick up in the middle of a thought, and I'll explain the context to you, and we'll, of course, come back, reach back during the message and get and look at some of the other verses other than 19 through 25, but we want to pick up in verse number 19 of Ezekiel chapter number 18, Ezekiel chapter number 18 and verse number 19. And this is the Lord's response to what Israel has brought before him. In verse 19, Yet say ye, why? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God? And not that he should return from his ways and live. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. We finally reach verse 25. Verse 25 will form the basis for not only the title of the message, but the thoughts that we hope to share with you today out of God's Word. Notice verse 25. Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? This is a thought that is continued and repeated in verse 29, almost verbatim. We will look at that in the midst of the message. The title of the message this morning is Blaming God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we have to be in your house today. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, whatever the condition is this morning, whether lost or saved, we pray that you'd come in and have your will and that you'd save souls, that you'd cause saints to be drawn closer to you. Lord, help us to, uh, those of us that are saved, that, that we would see from your word that we are to be careful not to develop a pattern of blaming you and Lord for those that are not saved may they see this morning that they cannot blame you for their plight uh, or their punishment it is the just deserts of a life lived apart from you Lord help us to be very careful to take in what you have for us today that we'd not be guilty of blaming you it's in Christ's name we pray amen Man here on this earth is going to suffer adversity, affliction, and trouble. There are things that are going to take place in our lives that are going to 
not only seem to be unjust, but are unjust. And man is very good at shifting blame. And usually this is directed at God. Man is very good at blaming God. It is no wonder, because blaming God has its roots going all the way back to the garden when Adam blamed Eve, the woman that thou gavest me, for his sin. Eve blamed the serpent and took no responsibility for her sin. And so this is something that has proceeded with man ever since the garden. Now in this chapter, God, through Ezekiel, is addressing Israel's blame of him. In other words, God understands that Israel is blaming God for their situation. What was their situation? Well, this is uh, this book is written uh, detailing the captivity of Israel or Judah, if you will, by Babylon, and we're going to see that a little bit later in some of the chapters that we consider. So, literally, Israel was uprooted from their own land and taken captive. Now, some were left in the land. But they suffered the, uh, the, the ramifications of being taken captive by the foreign world power, Babylon, at the time. Now in this chapter, God has determined that he's going to continue to stress that none but the sinner himself should suffer or be punished for his own sins. He uses numerous cases to illustrate this truth. In other words, what we read in verses 19 through 25 clearly showed us that God is saying, and He is reiterating a truth that goes all the way back to the giving of the law, that the Father would not be punished for the Son, nor the Son punished for the Father, but each person would be punished for their own iniquity and their own sin. Now God, in delivering this message to Israel, He's literally trying to get them to understand why they are in captivity and the reason for this. Israel rejects the message and instead blames God for all of their troubles. God is unfair. It's God's fault that we're held captive. We're innocent. We didn't do anything wrong. This is all your fault, God. Your ways are unequal. You are unfair. That is literally what Israel is saying to God. They are blaming God. Man hasn't changed much since Adam's and Eve's sin in the garden. And man certainly hasn't changed much since what we read here in Ezekiel chapter number 18 and other passages in Ezekiel that we'll look at this morning since these verses in Holy Scripture were penned. I give you this account. Long ago there was a man who married a strong, sweet Christian woman. Strong in the faith. This man himself had attended Christ's College at Cambridge in England and held a theology degree. Soon, one of the couple's children, their beloved 10-year-old daughter, Annie, became ill. In spite of all the help that they sought, her life could not be saved and she passed away. The wife and mom knew that she would see Annie again someday. She held, held steadfast to her Christian belief and faith in the Almighty God. The man, however, 
was already having serious doubts about God's existence. When Annie died, he blamed God. He became incensed and angry. He would spend the rest of his life dedicated to dragging others down with him. Dragging them down to despair and hopelessness that comes when one spends their life blaming God. Now, we have much to learn today from the topic before us. We must be warned. We must be encouraged. We must be challenged. We must be on alert that we ourselves are not guilty of blaming God. Now, the passage that we're considering this morning reveals three components involved in blaming God. Three components. First of all, there is a false accusation. The second component, a fretting attitude. And the third component, a failed assessment. These are three components that are involved when someone is blaming God. Let's consider them. The first component... A false accusation. Israel levels a false accusation against God. Is this not how the devil works? The devil always tries to slander and bring forth false accusations not only against God's people, but against God Himself. Now, as we think about this first component involved in blaming God, I want you to consider this false accusation. The false accusation was really Israel's complaint against God. Israel's complaint. And I'll tell you that it is also the natural man's complaint against God to this very day. We've already talked about it. What is happening here? Israel is accusing God of being unjust. God is unfair. That they were being punished for their father's sin. In verse number 25 that we read and we stressed would be the, the, the thought process this morning and the, the topic for the message. Verse 25 again reads, Yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. They are literally saying that God is unjust. That God is not fair. Notice again in verse 29, Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. They are accusing God of being unjust and unfair. They are accusing God of allowing them to go into captivity for nothing that they did. They they placed themselves as completely innocent in this process. And the whole reason that they are taken captive by the Babylonians, the whole reason that the city of Jerusalem is burnt, the whole reason that the temple of God is destroyed with fire and the holy vessels are taken by Nebuchadnezzar to be used in the house of false gods and idols, they say, we didn't have anything to do with that. That was our forefathers. God, you are punishing us for what they did. You are unjust. You are unfair. We don't deserve this. This is Israel's complaint against God. And yet God, had continually laid out this principle going all the way back to the giving of the law that one should be punished and one would be punished for their own sins. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 24 in verse number 16. 
Deuteronomy 24 and verse number 16, God in speaking through Moses tells the children of Israel, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall, shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. You can read the history of the kings of Israel in Judah and there are passages in Holy Scripture that reveal that they practiced what God said. They did not put the children to death for the sins of the father and, and vice versa. And so Israel is complaining against God. They are accusing God of being unfair and unjust. Now, before we, before we in horror gasp at what Israel had done, we might well check up in our own lives. Because even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who is Israel? They're God's chosen people. They're God's chosen nation. We are God's chosen people individually. If you're saved, it's proof that you are the elect of God. And we must be careful that in the midst of this life that we live where there are betrayals and affliction and suffering on every hand that we don't somehow develop a pious attitude that we haven't ever done anything wrong and that all that we are enduring is because God is unfair and unjust. That is a pathway to trouble. Israel's complaint against God is based in a false accusation that God was unjust that he was unfair. But notice that this false accusation based on Israel's complaint was really a rebuke of God's character. God's character. Who is God? Their false accusation was a direct attack on God and a rebuke of God. God, if you weren't unfair and unjust, we wouldn't be going through this right now. This is all your fault, God. We didn't do anything wrong, and you're punishing us, and your word is not true. <coughs> when you say that you're not going to punish the children for the sins of the Father, that's not true, because you're doing exactly that. Now, what can you conclude from the false accusation in Israel's complaint? They are calling God a liar. They are casting aspersions on God's character. It always, it always gets me where you know, somebody will leave the church and they'll say things about the pastor and people say, well, you've got to have thick skin. You shouldn't be offended at that. Oh, okay, just because they're accusing me of being a liar, I, I shouldn't be offended. I should not be human in that. I'm sorry. I'll do better the next time. You get what I'm saying. Should God just overlook the attack on his character? Does God do that? Well, we'll talk more about that later on in the message. This is a false accusation that is an attack on God's character. Who is God? How is God described in Holy Scripture? God is righteous. And because he is righteous, he is a God of, you'll love these two words, part of my, my theme for life. God is a God of justice and judgment. He is altogether lawful, just, right, and correct. All of His judgments are right. There is no iniquity or unrighteousness in God. God is not unfair. Or God is not, uh, He's not unfair. He's completely fair. Abraham recognized this when Jesus Christ visited His house 
uh, on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah and bringing judgment upon the cities of the plain where Lot had chosen to settle. And Abraham knew what was coming. That God's a God of His Word. And as Abraham pleaded with God, with Jesus Christ, uh, that if there be a certain amount of righteous people there, he gets all the way down to 5, 15, 20, 15, 10, 5, if there's this many righteous people there, would you spare the city? And in his plea to Jesus, who is God manifest in the flesh, here's what Abraham said. You'll find this in Genesis 18, verse 25. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge, with the capital J, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer to that is unequivocally, of course. Yes. There is no unrighteousness with God. God's ways are not unequal. God's ways are completely equal. Paul reiterates this in dealing with the subject of uh, election in Romans chapter number 9 and verse number 14. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. There is no unrighteousness with God. These were false accusations levied by the Israelites against God. They blamed God for their situation. They accused God of being unfair, unjust, and unrighteous. And that is completely the opposite of who He is. Because He is uh, completely just and righteous. He judges completely justly and completely righteously. Elihu pointed this out in the book of Job. In Job 34 and verse number 12, Elihu opines and says, Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. God is not unfair. When we go through afflictions and and trials and, and suffering and persecution here on this earth, do not ever think that you should blame God for what's happening. God is not unjust. God is not unrighteous. Uh, we... Uh, certainly are going to see a little bit later on in the message that, you know, we usually get what we deserve and we, we always, it seems like, when, it, when we're dealing with God, we get less than we deserve because of God's, God's kindness and compassion and mercy. Thomas Brooks, who was an old Puritan, wrote, God's judgments are always just. He never afflicts but in faithfulness. His will is the rule of justice. And therefore a, therefore a gracious soul dares not cavil nor question his proceedings. In other words, the person who is close to God and lives rightly with God never blames God when bad things happen. Never looks at their life and says, well, if it weren't for God, I'd be much better off because that soul knows that without God, we would be nothing. We would be destined for an eternity in hell. God is right and pure and just in all of His dealings. These were false accusations that the Israelites levied against God. In Psalms 119, verse 137, we conclude this first component of blaming God with this thought, 
the thoughts of the, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 137, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Upright. Nothing that God does is unrighteous or unjust. So this was, we can conclude, a false accusation. They, Israel says to God, Your ways are unequal. No, that's a false accusation. But then notice, secondly, the second component of blaming God. It is a fretting attitude. Not only a false accusation, it's bad enough that a false accusation is levied against God. But that false accusation then plays out through a fretting attitude. Man doesn't just accuse God falsely. You know what else man does? He gets angry with God. It's not just that he's accusing God falsely, but he is angry and indignant and incensed against God. God, your ways are not fair. This is your fault, and I'm upset about it. I'm angry about it. Now, as we think about this fretting attitude... We need to discover, <coughs> not just here in Ezekiel 18, but also in Scripture, in other Scripture, the principle, the principle of man's fretting. The principle of man's fretting. Listen to this verse, or turn there if you like, doesn't matter. Proverbs 19 and verse number 3. In Proverbs 19 and verse number 3, the Bible reads, The foolishness of man perverted perverteth his way. By the way, when, when, when Solomon writes, the foolishness of man perverteth his way, it means that man's own thought processes and man's own ways lead to him sinning against God. It perverts his way. Well, what is the result of that? In Proverbs 19, verse 3, let me read the whole verse to you. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. His heart fretteth against the Lord. Now, usually when you think of the term fretting, because the term is used in another uh, a number of other verses in Scripture, right? When you think of the term fretting, you probably conjure up some idea of man brooding and sad in his countenance and he's downtrodding. In fact, in Psalms 37, we're told not to fret against the wicked when we see them increase in all of their riches and so forth. And we say, well, why is that happening? Uh, when they clearly are opposed to God, and I'm trying to serve God, <clears throat> and I'm struggling, the Bible tells us to fret not against those people. Don't become downtrodden and, and, and sorrowful in your heart. But you know what? That's not what the word here means. The word here, fretteth. And his heart fretteth against the Lord. The word fretteth literally means to boil up. To be enraged. To have wrath and anger. You know, it gives you the idea if you've ever watched sports at all. And uh, I can't help but think of, you know, the former head basketball coach at the University of Indiana, Bobby Knight, the general. You know, and I'm old enough to have watched Bobby Knight when he when he roamed the sidelines commanding the Indiana basketball team there. Uh, and, and, and you could just see him when, the, when his team wasn't playing well or when the refs were making calls that 
that he didn't like, you could just see him boiling up. You know, and then pretty soon there'd be a chair being thrown across the, the floor of, in the gymnasium. And you know what got Bobby Knight fired, right? Do you recall what, Bob, what got Bobby Knight fired? Because there was a video from one of their practices where he gets upset at one of his players and goes up and grabs him around the throat and starts strangling him. It's on video. He got fired over it. They lied about it. Said it didn't happen. Guess what? You can see Bobby Knight just boiling up. And he marches over and grabs the kid by the throat and squeezes. That's a strangulation. (laughs) You're impeding the breathing. We charge that every week in St. Clair County. Okay? You get the idea of what's happening with the natural man. He blames God. And then he begins to boil up and become so enraged against God that he is going through this. John Gill gives this insight into Proverbs 19 and verse 3 where it says, And his heart fretteth against the Lord. Gill writes, Laying all the blame on God and ascribing his ill success, that's man's ill success, not to his own sin and folly, but to divine providence which works against him. And therefore he frets and murmurs at God. And instead of charging his own ways with folly, he charges the ways of God with inequality. Is that not what Ezekiel wrote? In Ezekiel chapter number 18, verses 25 and 29, the people of Israel say to God, Your ways are unequal. You are unfair. They not only falsely accuse him, but they become enraged against him. Man frets against God. He boils up and becomes angry and wrathful because he is blaming God for his situation. We see the principle of man's fretting, but we secondly see the proportion of their fret. The proportion. Now listen. It'd be one thing if Bobby Knight was on the sideline, you know, and he got upset, and, you know, you see him boiling over, and then pretty soon you just see him, you know, say something and throw his hands up in the air and walk away, okay? It's an entirely different thing to grab a chair and throw it out onto the basketball court. It's an entirely different thing to become enraged and go over and grab your player by the throat and start squeezing his throat. That's an entirely different thing. The proportionality of the anger and rage was evident in Bobby Knight. And I want you to think about the proportion of the fretting that is apparent in man. Not that all men go to these extremes, but I want you to think about one of the first instances in Scripture. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, right? And they have some kids. And these two brothers obviously taught somehow the law and the rules of bringing sacrifices to God. And one of them brings what is an acceptable sacrifice to God. The other brings what he thinks God will have to accept. It's the best work that his hands can produce. You know these two by the name of Cain and Abel. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter number 4, and I want you to read about Cain's murder of Abel, and notice how this came about. 
In Genesis chapter number 4, begin reading in verse 3. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now watch verse 5. Don't miss this. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. You remember this? And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. You know what Cain's doing there? He's fretting against God. He's angry, man. What do you mean you don't accept my offering? Do you know the work that I put into this? How dare you, God, not accept my offering? You're going to accept His offering? I'll tell you what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Now watch what Cain does. Look at verse number 6. Verse number uh, 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? <laughs> you got to love this. If thou doest well, shalt not, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. What is God saying? God is saying, you know what? Cain, if you would have brought the right kind of offering, you would have been accepted. And your offering would have been accepted. But, you, but this is on you, Cain. Don't blame me. Don't be mad at me. You brought the wrong offering... You knew the right offering to bring, and you brought the wrong offering. Don't be mad at me, Cain. My ways are not unequal. Your ways are unequal. You have no reason to be enraged. This is what God's saying. And then look further in verse number 7. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. We've talked about the word slew before. It literally means to butcher. As butchering an animal for food in a sacrifice. To slaughter or to maim. And I'll tell you what I think happened here. I think Cain took Abel and said, Okay, God, you want a blood offering? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you Abel. Here's your offering. In fact, in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, get it, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain is upset with God that God is unequal and unfair and unjust, and the reality is what? Cain was the one. It was his fault. He could have brought the right offering. He didn't do that. Isn't that crazy to go to that extreme? The proportion of the fretting? But then I want you to think thirdly about the proliferation of the fretting. That you would think that when man is finally, God finally sends signs and signals that, that you know what, I am the sovereign God, you need to fall in line. And he sends Christ, his only begotten Son, to die for sinners on the cross. And he sends a message of compassion and kindness that man would then submit to God. But I want you to note, turn with me here, to the book of Revelation. Because going back to Genesis, when man first blamed God, all the way to the book of Revelation in the end times, and in particular during the tribulation period after the saints are raptured out, man is still going to be boiled up with anger towards God and blaming God. 
Look at Revelation 16, verses 9, verses 9 through 11. Revelation 16, verses 9 through 11. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seal of the beast, upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Do you get that? They're blaming God. During the tribulation period, when, when let's face it, the gospel message has gone around this globe. During that time when God is doing what He said He would do, they still refuse to repent and they blame God and they are angry and wrathful and indignant towards God. The proliferation of the fretting. This is a serious subject. Blaming God. Ah, oh, well, you know, it's just a phase he's going through. He's really hurt. He's just blaming God, right? This is a serious matter, blaming God. We're talking about the components involved in blaming God. A false accusation, a fretting attitude, but then thirdly and finally, a failed assessment. A failed assessment. Now, in the two verses that I read in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25 and verse 29, let's read those again. Ezekiel chapter number 18, verse 25. Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel... Is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? In the look at verse 29, Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Do you get what God is saying to them? Twice He says to them, You are falsely accusing me of being unfair and unjust, and you know what? You failed to assess your own condition you are the ones that are unfair and unjust. By the way, the word equal there literally means weighed out and balanced. God does everything with the right balance. You ever see the scales of justice? And, 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 and she's blind because justice is not supposed to be motivated by whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whether you're rich or poor. You get the idea. Justice is supposed to be weighed out and meted out rightly and properly regardless of who you are. And God says, you, you have, first of all, deluded yourself. We see Israel's delusion. God is saying to them in the entire 18th chapter, and you go back and read it on your own, from the very beginning a proverb that they use to try to accuse God. And God spends the entire chapter revealing to them, you are not getting it. It is for your own sinfulness that this has happened. I have pleaded with you. I have begged with you to make things right. You refuse to do it. I am not unequal. You are unequal. And Israel is deluded. They're like the strange woman and the adulterous woman in the book of Proverbs that commits her adultery and eats her bread and wipes her mouth and says, I haven't done anything wrong. They were the ones that had erred. They are the ones that had sinned. They failed to assess their own life 
And if they had assessed their own life, they would have realized that they were to blame for what they were going through and not God. You ever do that in your own life? You say, oh, well, it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. I'm overweight because my wife makes good meals. I'm overweight because my wife is a baker. Yes, she straps me down and forces sweets down my throat. Don't blame someone else for your situation. By the way, that's all hypothetical. I don't eat Darlene's sweets that she bakes, although I would love to. Um, Assess your own life. Take accountability and responsibility for yourself. God clearly says that Israel is the one who is deluded and unrighteous. Again, I give you a quote from Brother John Gill. Gill writes in reference to the Lord saying, you are the ones that are unequal. Gill says, it is plain that they, Israel, are unequal. He says, your actions, your course of life are manifest deviations from my law and from all the rules of righteousness and goodness. It is you that are in the wrong and I in the right. So you look at societal issues. You go back to AIDS. God is unjust in sending this disease. But but you twist God's rules. You twist God's rules for intimacy. You say, oh, look at this guy. How does God allow somebody to go in and shoot up a school and, 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 and these children are killed? God is unjust. And yet today in our nation... You cannot legitimately say that a woman is a woman and a man is a man without being uh, somehow castigated by the nutcases. I don't need to learn your pronoun. I don't care what your pronoun is. I don't care if you call yourself a he even though you're a she. It doesn't matter to me. Just because you say you are a he doesn't mean you are a he. Now, What are we going to do with that? You can't say that in society today. And our nation continues to plummet, and we want to blame others. And in particular, we want to blame God. Oh, look, it's it's former President Trump. It's all his fault. Look what he's done to our nation. He, he, uh, he urged all these people to overthrow the government on January 6th, and now we're going, to, we're going to prosecute him for these crimes. Oh, yeah, it's all Trump's fault. You're delusional. You're delusional. Six years after this, the events that are taking place in Ezekiel chapter number 18 occur roughly in 592. Six years later, 586, remember we count down as it relates to the Old Testament. Look at Ezekiel 33 and notice what's going on. Notice how the message didn't make one bit of difference to Israel. Now here we are six years later. Notice Ezekiel 33, and I'm again reading in verse number 17. We got a number of verses to read, but it's important. I want you to I want you to gain what's taking place here. Notice Ezekiel 33, verse 17. You might recognize the wording here. Ezekiel 33:17. Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. Does that sound familiar to you? It's a message that God had delivered to them before and they didn't get it and they still refused to assess their own situation. They were still delusional. They were still blaming God. Read on. 
Verse 18, When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. Well, watch what happens following in verse 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, and afore he, uh, afore he that was escaped came, and it opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning. And my mouth was open, and I was no more dumb. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel. Now these are the people that were left behind in the land when Israel was taken captive. He says, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited the land. But we are many, the land is given us for an inheritance. They are still delusional. They are still saying, this is our land. We have a right to this land. We didn't do anything. This is our land. We're Abraham's seed. It's the same thing they said to Jesus in the book of John. We be Abraham's seed. Now watch. Read on. Verse 25. Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with blood and lift up your eyes towards your idols. He's literally talking about eating at feasts that are for the purpose of lifting up and and worshiping idols. That's what he's talking about. And then notice, and shed blood, and shall ye possess the land? God is letting them know that he fully is aware of their sins. They say, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. This is all God's fault. God's punishing us for the sins of our fathers. He is unrighteous. He is unjust. He is unequal. And yet God says, wait a minute. You're a bunch of idolaters. You fill the land with blood. You are a wicked and violent people. Read on with me in verse number 26. Ye stand upon your sword. Which means that they, see if this doesn't sound familiar, they trusted in their military might and prowess. You stand upon your sword. Well, how far is your sword going to go when God reaches down from heaven and melts it? You stand upon your sword. Ye work abomination. And I'll tell you what, you want an interesting study, look at that. The word abomination is in the feminine neuter, and it refers to homosexuality. I won't use the words that we used when I was a kid, out of respect. But he say, you're a bunch of pansies. You are perverting the way of God. And ye defile everyone his neighbor's wife. You're a bunch of cheating adulterers. Oh, I get it. We call it swingers today. No, you're a bunch of wicked adulterers. You're not only idolaters and murderers, you're adulterers. And he goes on and says, And shall ye possess the land? He asks them the second time. Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely... They that are in the waste shall fall by the sword, and him that is in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured. And they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence, for I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord, when I have laid the land most desolate. Watch! Because of all their abominations which they have committed. Why is God doing this? Because they're a bunch of wicked adulterers and idolaters. 
and they're blaming God. They are delusional. Well, I close with just pointing this out. We just read in verses 27 through 29 God's demand. God's principle is still true today. We all answer for ourselves. We will answer for ourselves. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, the churches in the regions of Galatia, and he said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. They were reaping what they sowed. We as a nation, we individually will reap what we sow. We ought to consider the word of God to Haggai where he said, Consider your ways. And we ought to consider that. Thomas Manton, an old Puritan, wrote this, and I'll close, bring the message to a close with this quote. He said, Here is much to keep the children of God in all. The Lord is a righteous God. Though they have found mercy and taken sanctuary in His grace, the Lord is impartial in His justice. God that did not spare the angels when they sinned, nor His Son when He was a sinner by imputation, will not spare you, though you are the dearly beloved of His soul. Be careful that you're not blaming God. Look at my plight. It's all God's fault. God's the one to blame. Now, if you hadn't already figured it out, the guy that I was referencing at the, in the introduction of the message was none other than Charles Darwin. Eight years after his beloved Annie's death at ten years old, he wrote The Origin of Species. He became not just a practical atheist, but a legitimate atheist. This book, The Origin of Species, has continued to cause millions of people to follow down that path, to believe that somehow man was once a monkey and evolved from that, And beloved, that takes more faith than believing in a Redeemer that came to this earth and died for your sins. Would you blame God for your situation? Darwin blamed God. And look where it got him. This passage reveals three components involved in blaming God. A false accusation. A fretting attitude. And a failure to assess or a failed assessment. Let us be careful as the Lord's people not to be guilty of blaming God. Let's pray.